Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of the Woj Pod here in Los Angeles with Houston Rockets general manager, the reigning executive of the year in the NBA, Daryl Morey. Daryl, how are you? Good. Hopefully that goes better than coach of the year, usually. (laughs) It's a trophy or a plaque? It's a trophy. I didn't know that. I actually remember because Danny Ainge got it right after I left, and it was a little tiny trophy. And I always was like, well, that's that's so small. But they, yeah, it's this big thing now. Yeah, so it's a huge, huge, ostentatious trophy no one should have now. Is it on your front porch? Is it in your, like, do you? You know, I I don't know where it is. Put in your car? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know where it is. I, I I'm assuming it's it. They shipped it to me, and I think it's still in the, in the box. box. Yeah, come on. No, no, seriously. I mean, it's... No, no, it's, it's. I'll put it up. I mean, it's not like I'm. Yeah, it's just you know the off season's a little crazy. So that award's interesting because it's the only one in the league, I think, where that's voted on by your peers, and it's not like they have like those player awards, and there's uh, who knows who's even vote. Like you've got thirty executives. And no one knows better than the guys who do the job of what it entails and who did. And there's always been some voting in blocks, like certain groups vote in blocks a little bit. And But that one I've always sensed with guys who've won the award that because of who votes for it, because you're not fooling those guys. Yeah, it's it's an interesting award. I, I Generally had written it off because I, I, I actually, I think it was in 10 or I'm trying to remember the year, but the year Pat Riley put together the Miami team, the, you know, the one that went on to win two, uh, championships and he didn't win that year. And I was like, well, this award is stupid. <laughs> I was like, that was the greatest off season maybe anyone's ever put together and he didn't win. So I, I mean, it was, it was very cool to be, it's always cool to be recognized. And, uh, but it's obviously not something I think many folks in my job really pay much attention to because it's, it's a, you know, it's a weird combination of moves, popularity, contests, yeah. whatever. So see, like I always think there's two ways to look at the voting in that. There's one, like you said, like what Riley did in that off season is it just, and it was like right, years yeah, in yeah. planning. Years in planning. It was, but there's two ways. There's the, to me, the job of GM, I know people think of it as like home run deal or home run trade, home run free agency signing. But typically it's like infield single, sacrifice bunt. There's a lot of things that lead right. up to it. And you say, hey, here's a year where this team, where that coach they hired and stayed with, or that second round pick who, you know, like panned out and that guy, they, you know, like I think with like you guys at different times, like you picked Chandler Parsons in the second round, you brought Patrick Beverly over from Europe and all those things start to set you up to have the assets to do a James Harden trade or to sign Dwight Howard in free agency. Typically it's never, sometimes this year is the culmination. And yet there's years I see where guys will get the award. They made one particular move. Whereas I don't know, I just think there's more nuance to everything that set up a trade and sometimes you're really the executive of the last three or four years to be able to put it for it to come this year. So I would think how people judge that one, there's a lot of open field, right? To, yeah, to it's a little it. like MVP. The criterion isn't very well known. And one thing I like is it's an organizational award, uh, in that to your point, you know, those, 
our second round picks aren't magic. We have a great scouting department. Uh, we have a, you know, great staff all over. We have a coaching staff that puts them in a position to succeed, helps develop them like John Lucas. So that's, it's an organizational award, which is, which is nice. I wish, uh, you know, I wish it had ended in a, in a ring, but, uh, at least, you know, the organization got recognized a little bit. The end last year, Daryl, and you always feel like that you have a window and you're set up. But like you knew at the end of the year, you were going to have a hard time financially keeping the group together, whether it was, you know, Trevor Ariza, you couldn't pay him $15 million in a year. And, you know, there's decisions that have to be made that sometimes you're a victim of your own. When you put a good roster together, you put guys and guys value increases, can't pay everybody and keep them. Do you walk out of that game seven with a pit in your stomach saying, Listen, I think we're going to be pretty good here for a while. I think our two best players are still in their prime, but maybe we don't get back here. Yeah, no, I think you, it's fragile. I mean, winning's fragile. Uh, we've had, uh, you know, we've had a good run of, of winning, but getting to game seven in the Western Conference Finals, it just doesn't happen for many people in their, in their career. And, and for sure you worry about getting back. And we did have a lot of decisions this offseason and we had to, make hard choices i mean we 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 knew clint was someone who we had to have back i mean if you looked i think we're like 48 and 3 with clint and james and chris all playing together and and so you know you had to prioritize things and figure out how to put a new group together and every year's every year's different and we're still learning about this team and very excited about a lot of the guys we brought in like Mello and James Ennis and Michael Carter Williams, who have all all played really well in the preseason, we had a little bit of a bumpy opener, but uh, but uh, yeah. So every year's every year's different, and uh, um, you know, I I got asked, uh, you know, by by Tillman, like, hey, what you know, what are our best years? And I, I think the answer is every year's our best chance to win. Like, you know, obviously last year we got extremely close. Uh, and, and almost got it done and maybe would have with, with a couple injury or three pointer bounces our way. And, um, and, uh, um, so, so I think every year while we've got these guys in their prime are, uh, are, it's maybe our, our best chance to win it. The way that you guys in Houston have really been an organization that has sort of Given your star players a lot of input into what it looks like, who you play with, how we play, that I think as much as any, you've recognized that players run this league. Chris Paul's not in Houston if James Harden doesn't really push to make that happen. And, you know, it's not been the normal thing that a player leaves LA to go to Houston. You've had it happen twice. You've had two free agent players. Now, Chris ended up being the sign and trade. But Dwight, and we can look back at Dwight's era and say, did Dwight, was it everything you hoped he'd be? But the point was, at that time, everybody wanted Dwight Howard. Golden State was sort of wading into the water, if people don't remember, in the free agency then, and they, a little bit. But certainly everybody else with space. The Lakers wanted to keep building around them. And you guys have, I just think, figured out a that we're going to make this the place that in a lot of ways, we're going to fit into you versus making you fit into us. That that was a conscious decision you guys made. Yeah, from from day one, I think it's not complicated to know that you know to win the championship, 
you have to have the top players in this league. So from there we said, how do we create the environment that makes them want to be here? And the one thing we thought we could differentiate ourselves on and other teams have uh, been doing this more lately and so our edge might be eroding is we're going to be the place where these top players say, if I go there, I'm going to have a big voice in how uh, how everything happens. Um, and and I think, you know, that just makes it, it not only makes sense from, a, you know, hey, let's a recruiting perspective, but it also makes sense once they're here. Because if you have your top players involved, there there's just more buy-in if if they if they know that you know we can add this play in free agency and they've been a part of watching video with you or talking with you they want to make it work just as much as you when that player comes here and and that level of buy in uh absolutely uh has been an edge for us and and then the fact that coach D'Antoni sort of embodies that as well even down to like uh, decisions on how we're going to play certain teams involving Chris, James, and and the rest of the team uh, gets you buy-in even from game to game, which which is a big big advantage for us. What's something that you freely allow players to have a voice in, and how you do now that you would have never imagined allowing when you became a GM 13 years ago, or even in those first few years? Yeah, when I was first in Boston, I mean, I was sort of the nobody in Boston. Um, and yeah, I think the idea of doing what we do now, which is going to Chris and James, you know, before this offseason even and saying, look, here are the guys who are available. Here are the ones we think could really help us. But you've played against them. You've played with them, even in Drew League. You've you've seen them. What do you see in these players that maybe would move them up a little bit or down a little bit? And the great thing is, both these guys are basketball geniuses. <laughs> like they're probably two of the best basketball IQ players in NBA history. So their feedback becomes, you know, and it's a give and take. Like sometimes they'll say, oh, "I don't see that," and you we can say, "Well, you know, here's." Here's them in the pick and roll. I know you're not, you don't think maybe they're good in it, but here's, here's some video that we're seeing that shows that they're maybe a little bit better than you think. And, and we have a good give and, give and take, but that's been developed over the years. I mean, this is James's sixth or seventh year with them. I'm trying to do the math in my head. I think seventh year. And so that relationship is where, you know, both of us can give feedback to each other that sometimes isn't easy. Like, you know, I, I'm not seeing what you're seeing. Let's talk about it. Today's episode of the Woj Pod is sponsored by 23andMe. 23andMe is a DNA testing service that can offer insights into your ancestry, health, wellness, and traits. The 23andMe Health Plus Ancestry Service includes reports on how your DNA can influence your weight, sleep quality, caffeine intake, sense of taste, whether you are likely to be lactose intolerant, and a whole lot more. And it's easy to do. You simply spit into the tube provided in your 23andMe kit and mail your saliva sample back to the lab to be analyzed. The deep sleep report tells you 
If you're more likely to be an especially deep sleeper, the sleep movement report tells you how much you're likely to move during your sleep based on your DNA. The saturated fat and weight report tells you, based on your genetics, how your weight might be affected by saturated fats in your diet and offers tips on which foods to watch out for if you are trying to eat less saturated fat. The lactose intolerance report sheds insights into how your genetics may affect your ability to digest dairy products. Order your 23andMe Health Plus Ancestry Service Kit at 23andMe.com slash Woj. That's the number 23andme.com slash Woj, W-O-J. When you were evaluating James and the role he had in Oklahoma City, and you were trying to figure out, obviously you knew he could do a lot more. You knew he, you gave up a lot to get him and you went after him. I remember that first game in Detroit. He, he make the trade. He comes, he scores a 46, 48 in Detroit. Yeah. And you go, oh, wow. You know, and when you saw him within the confines of, I don't know if it was confines, but playing with Durant, playing with Westbrook, what did you even underestimate once he got away and now was like in full bloom? I think the biggest thing that, you know, maybe I underestimated, um, was, yeah, just the level of a passer he is. I mean, and, and Mike, my, you know, Mike, Coach D'Antoni's talked about this, that, you know, he puts James right there with, with Nash, which is, you know, if not better. I mean, it, you'd have to talk to him, but he coached both. And, you know, Nash is obviously one of the best passers of all time. And, the, you know, he thinks James sees things Nash never saw. And I'm sure Nash saw some things he didn't. But, but just... The creativity of his passing, which you can really see, especially the way he works with Clint, uh, and the way he can make these cross court passes that, you know, frankly, no one can make at his size normally. I've seen others make it, like when we had Tracy McGrady, he could make some of these like crazy all the way across the heart of the defense passes because he was six eight, six nine. But James makes them by anticipating and, and like literally fooling the defense almost. So, you know, I think the idea of, you know, max contracts, part of it in salary caps is to spread star players around the league. There's always sort of been this, if he kept the salary cap, but eliminated the max deal and teams could pay whatever they wanted for a player. If, if Oklahoma City wanted to pay 45, 50 million, 55 million a year to keep Kevin Durant or, or to whomever it is. You know, it would force them to have to make harder decisions with other players and the stars would spread around. Would it be that simple? Is that oversimplifying what the marketplace would look like? Yeah, I think you're hitting on one of the third rails where I'll get electroshocked by the league <laughs> office. So I can't, I have to not totally comment on what you said, but I, what, I, what I can say is I, I do think there are some players and James Harden's one of them and Chris Paul's one of them that there's really no way to make it fair across the league. Like, once they're on a team, every other team's at a disadvantage if you don't have one of these few guys. So there's really, you can try to do other things, and I can't really go into the details um, like you did, but, the, you know, it's it, it fundamentally it's like almost impossible to make it fair because they're so much better than other people in the league. Right. And the thing I heard in the last CBA... When the last CBA got done, smaller market owners saying, 
we didn't go nearly far enough, and, and smaller market general managers, listen, you are going to pay a penalty financially to not stay with the team you're with. You know, if I'm going to leave, if I can stay and get the five-year Supermax um, versus a four-year deal somewhere else, I'm giving up, you know, different instances, 40, 50 million, whatever it is, that some teams say we should make it even, that it should cost you even more money to do it, that the the reward for staying where you are financially Make it that much greater. And I just have a feeling that will be the battle cry by the time we get to the next CBA because the league is still largely made up of small markets. It, most of them are. And they still, there's some power in numbers with them. And I, I just think that, I don't know, to me, I think that's the next big fight when we get a few years down to that CBA. I, I think it's challenging, you know, if you don't have one of these top players to compete. Um, I do think the draft does really help. Uh, the small markets, um, in that, you know, most of the top talent does come through the draft, does come through the top few picks, and generally it's smaller markets that do pick near the top of the draft, generally. Um, so I do think the draft helps that. Uh, that said, you know, I think it's a challenge for every team, small markets, big market, to create a place where players want to go. That's, that's, really the challenge would you have imagined in your lifetime even your career in the nba that the nba would rival the nfl now the tv ratings are going to say no and the revenue but there's a shift and it might be more generational a younger generation that is so engrossed in this league that I think the gap is closed certainly more than I imagined it would even do while I was still working at this. Yeah, I'm confident. I wasn't before. Like, I wish I had the genius crystal ball that knew everything. And most people, you know, have hindsight bias. I don't know that I knew this in 02 when I first got in the NBA. But I, I'm very confident at this point that the NFL will be behind the NBA. The NFL will be like two of the top sports in the 50s, horse racing and boxing, where they're still talked about, but it's not part of the zitgeist of of this country. And, and I do think the NBA uh, will absolutely be that. Remember, Daryl, when you've looked, and I think you've done this maybe a little more with your G League jobs, and we were talking once, and I just thought this was a really unique way to look at sort of evaluating coaches to hire that you liked looking around at guys who had losing records and who hadn't won because sometimes they're in situations that are so where the odds are so stacked against them and a guy who went from five wins to eight to 11 to 15 to 20 to 21, his record's not very good, but he's in a place where that might mean more than somewhere where you have all the resources to win. Whatever gave you that thought to sort of pursue it that way? Yeah, I, I think it's interesting because I love winners. I love winning. So it is sort of counterintuitive that then we would look at that. But it, it, it makes sense when you sort of look at it from a money ball type perspective and you say, what are other teams not seeing? That's really, our job isn't to know what's going to be good. It's what, what's going to be good more than what other teams think is good. And other teams know winners are, are good to have. Like, mm-hmm. we love winners. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. We got all, but the reality is we have to, most of the time, especially if we're picking later in the draft or we're chasing minimum free agents, not guys making 10 million, you have to find things that other teams aren't seeing. So you've got to, 
you know, yeah, maybe they've been in bad situations, like a losing situation. Now we can pull them into a winning one, and maybe that will change it. Maybe they've been injured, like Eric Gordon was like this. Maybe they've been injured a lot, and now we just got to bet they're healthy, even though other teams are worried that will happen. Like, you, you know, or with Carmelo this year, maybe he's been in uh, – you know, sort of uh, offensive systems that didn't really accentuate, you know, his, his incredible amounts of skill. So, that, you know, generally we're, we have to, like, choose from these pools that other teams don't want to play in, essentially. Today's episode of the Woj Pod is also brought to you by ZipRecruiter. There are job sites that send you tons of the wrong resumes to sort through, and that's not smart. You know what else is not smart? Using your relatives to fill in at work while you look for staff. But you know what is smart? Going to ZipRecruiter.com slash Woj to hire the right person. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. It's powerful matching technology, scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience for your job and actively invites them to apply so you get qualified candidates and you get them fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is ranked number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over a 1,000 reviews. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Woj, W-O-J. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Woj, ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Look, you're always measuring like risk and reward. I'm going to take a chance on this for these factors. Over time, what's an area you say, that's something I just don't want. I used to take risk in that area. I take less risk in that area. Is there something or a couple things? Yeah, I would say, especially as we've turned into a 65-win team, um, you know, when we were sort of in the period from Yao Ming and Tracy McGrady until we got James Harden, we would take a lot of risk on, you know, guys who didn't have the best approach, whether that be personality, work ethic, whatever, because we try, again, we're taking bets on things other teams don't want. We were going to try and convert them. But now, given the great locker room we have, um, you know, we're taking less character risk, if that makes sense, because... You know, it, it, it is true that a guy can sort of spoil the soup, basically. And so we, we've, we've taken less risk there. It used to be a criticism of your that Daryl doesn't care about chemistry. He doesn't care about the locker room. He's trying to assemble talent. I think your thought was more, yes, we were trying to assemble talent. And then who's a keeper and who, right. who we ship out of here? I think that was maybe more the thought process of it. Yeah, there yeah. was a time we, we didn't care as much about chemistry because if we did, we would have won half our games forever. And so we, we definitely consciously took some bets on some tougher character approach guys and a lot of them blew up in our face and that's fine. Now that's, we wish we hadn't, we wish we had to hit, hit, you know, a hundred percent, but we're not going to do that. And we felt like we needed to take those risks at the time and, um, I think, you know, hopefully it's a long time before we're in that mode again, but at some point we probably will be. When you think of 13 years in the job running the team, what's less enjoyable than it used to be about it? What takes up more of your time now than maybe it used to and you wish, boy, I wish I just didn't have to spend my time doing that? 
I would say, you know, probably, you know, it's like most things as you get to like travel to the obscure gyms, get a, get a little less, uh, I can understand why other GMs private jet to arenas because, I mean, yeah, it's a very, it's hard to complain. I, you know, the job's amazing. It's a very, uh, bourgeois thing or whatever, but, um, you know, time away from your family, uh, you try to minimize. It's hard in this job. And yeah, it's the, you know, going to the Yum Center in, in, in Louisville, that's not too bad. It's a short flight, but getting to, uh, you know, um, you know, Tennessee state or something, mm-hmm. you know, that's, uh, where you got to fly and drive four hours and miss your kids volleyball game and stuff like that. That's when that's probably the less enjoyable part. We both had daughters graduate from high school this past spring. And, uh, it's funny you say that because when she was walking across the stage of graduation, all I'm thinking of was, was I there enough that I missed too much I remember talking, Bob Myers has young girls and young kids and we were talking one day and remember I just said my daughter went from, felt like eight to 18 in the snap of a finger. It was gone, right? And yep. I remember, and I think that's true of anybody in any walk of life. It's not unique to ours because not every trip is going to reap a benefit. Like, right. out of those, if you're going to 10 of those Tennessee state trips, you're going to see something in one of them that might have value or you may see none. But if you're not doing that, well, you can't keep up in your job, right? It's in, in your heart of hearts, you know, if you're going to get lucky, like it's because you worked hard at it. And, yeah, I do feel like that firsthand knowledge really matters. One thing you learn in pretty much any job, especially as you move up, is just the information gets filtered and filtered to you. And you can lose touch of the things that really help you differentiate and be successful. And this would be one of those, like if, if, if you happen to, and I, like, last year was, was like this, basically. Um, I went to an obs- the obscure Thanksgiving tournament, not Maui, whatever, and like, actually, uh, Gerson even like, was like, what are you, that, that's like a terrible tournament to go to. It was the, it was the one in Orlando, and mm-hmm. it didn't have a good set. But actually, I think like almost the most players ended up getting drafted out of there. So you just never know when you're going to these games and you're taking notes on the players, which ones are actually going to move up throughout the year. And I just happened to catch, I've had years where I've gone and like there's been nobody. I've wasted four days at this Thanksgiving tournament. Uh, last year I got lucky. I just hit this Orlando tournament where a bunch of guys uh, ended up getting drafted. The organization, I'm always amazed, and you guys will always be in deal-making mode and flipping second-round picks around. The organization it takes to run a draft room when you have picks or you're trying to make deals or you're trying to, and now a lot of it is, you know, you're getting second-round picks is really the first round of the G League draft in a lot of ways. These are minor, they're going to be minor league players, but Chandler Parsons came in the second round, and we mentioned Beverly coming from overseas, and you've had on other guys in, in the second. And the more you do it, does it get more comfortable, or does it seem like a chaotic night every time, no matter how many times you it, do it? It's always a chaotic night, but it's so fun. Like that's the, the flip of your earlier question of what do you not like as much as the draft, the trade deadline. That that's that's the job. Like really, our job gets shoved in these little time windows that are almost crazy between like the draft and july 7th for free agency and around the trade deadline that those are the fun times and frankly because of the staff we have my you know my job has gotten easier i mean 
Gerson and Jimmy and BJ Johnson and Eli and Monty, like just, you know, our, our key guys and I could keep going for another 10 people just have made my job easier of the year because we've refined, you know, almost, we're almost like, you know, car builders that every year we're just tweaking a little bit and doing a little bit better every year we hope and then still we you know i'm sure we hit on some clunkers here and there how much of it especially draft and trade deadline that the preparation because it's not a situation where all of a sudden a player gets to you at a number you didn't expect or you can move up to get a player and you look around the room and go hey do we really want him what do we think of him those conversations decisions are honed over weeks and months same at the trade deadline if if this team calls us at 3.50 p.m. with a 4 p.m. trade deadline to do a deal, you've got to know what your answer is already. And then what is he worth? How much would we give up? We've already – I don't think people maybe appreciate how much of the planning goes in. Because you're talking – you probably go through, I don't know, 100 or 200 or 300 scenarios of which you know none of them will ever come up until one does, right? Right. Yeah, no, that's – you. you've got it nailed. Obviously, you've covered the league for a while. It's <laughs> – it's, uh, it's a, yeah, it's, it's hard to describe. Only like my wife knows or our staff knows, you know, cause I'll be like, Hey, we're working on this. And like, she's like almost tuned it out. Cause like for the number of times I say we're working on X and it happens it yeah, it's like, feels like one in 500. Like, and so, uh, she's, she's gotten into like, just tell me when it's done because, <laughs> because like, you know, I, I don't want to get my, you know, cause we, we do talk a lot about a lot of stuff that could really improve, you know, materially help our championship odds sometimes. And, you know, that gets everyone excited. Every, you know, from my wife and family to the staff, we all want to, you know, finally get a reversible ring or, you know, <laughs> maybe we'll have a holographic, you know, like hopefully we can dream, you know, someday we have to dream up some cool innovation on the ring. Today's episode of the Woj Pod is also brought to you by Quip. One of the most important things we do for our health every day is brushing our teeth. Yet most of us don't do it properly. Quip is a better electric toothbrush created by dentists and designers. Quip was designed to make brushing your teeth more simple, affordable, and enjoyable. Quip uses sensitive sonic vibrations that are gentle enough on your sensitive gums. Some people brush too hard, and some electric toothbrushes are too abrasive. A built-in two-minute timer pulses every 30 seconds to remind you when to switch sides, helping guide a full and even clean. Up to 90% of us don't brush for a full two minutes or don't even clean evenly. My dentist told me years ago, you have got to use an electronic toothbrush and... Quip helps declutter your sink or cabinet and makes traveling with an electric toothbrush easier. Quip doesn't require a clunky charger and runs for three months on one charge. My dentist told me years ago, I had to get an electric toothbrush. I had to use it for my gums. Quip is by far the best I ever had. It never dawned on me to be changing the bristles on the electric toothbrush Quip makes that easy. It makes for a softer, cleaner brushing. That's why the brush heads are automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just $5. Quip starts at just $25. And if you go to quip.com slash woge right now, 
you get your first refill pack for free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack for free at G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash Woj. What's the fine line between making a call on a trade call that somebody else might see as very one-sided and insulting and you thinking, I don't know, let me see if they would do this. Do you have to think about that? Yeah, we do. Every team's different. You try to contextually work with them in the way they like to be worked because it's really about them, not about you. That said, I mean, we are, I don't know if we're the most aggressive, but we got to be in the top few. Um, we're definitely... It's hard for you to sit things out, isn't it? If someone's available <laughs> or something's out there, it's hard for you to go, eh... We don't. We sit nothing out. Let's just be clear. Like we, maybe, maybe that's stupid. Maybe there's some downside to that. There probably is. Um, but yeah, we, if there's someone we say can help us, even if it's like one in a hundred odds, we feel like it's our job to your point to run those ground balls out and, you know, get thrown out at first, you know, and, and even though Lucy keeps pulling the football, we're going to (laughs) still go up there and try and kick it every time. So. Where does that come from with you? Is that just, is that a personality trait? Is that based in science and math that you just keep taking shots at things? Or is there something bigger about your personality or how you approach things that sort of just keeps you, you know, pursuing things that you know that, hey, this isn't, we're putting a lot of time in this. And we know that we're, there's, there's almost no way for us to get it done. Yeah, I, I think it's both. I mean, I, you know, folks who know me and, and then even our staff has built up this way. And so we have people with similar mindsets, but you know, just obsessive personalities. But I, you know, there's been some famous ones in the league, like Jerry West and guys like that. You know, when I've had it, had the chance and the pleasure to talk to, uh, to Jerry, you know, we've, we've talked about this. Like it's, it's just a, obsession and a uh, my staff actually makes fun of me because i like do competitive things just stupidly like whether it's fantasy football like manipulating the rules or <laughs> whatever and danny Ainge was like this for sure um and then on top of it it is to your point it is it is a little bit math like it's it's just like you know if you talk to people in sales it's like almost like a sales funnel you're you got so many things and each one has a probability and you know, you got to go up to the plate and just hack until you connect on one. And, uh, um, yeah, so that's, that's part of the philosophy. What did you learn most from working for Danny? Um, he, I mean, mostly that I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> so he, I mean, he knew the game so well from playing it and, and had such a, um, I think more than, you know, maybe most former players, I, I, I didn't pull, like, he was able to take a step back and sort of see the picture. And maybe it was because he, you know, had conversations with Red Arbuck back then. And he had such great, smart peers like Kevin McHale and, and guys around him on those teams that, uh, um, I, I mostly figured out that I had a lot to learn because he would see things I didn't. And so I think that just inspired me to work harder. When you became, a, you look back, you always feel like you're prepared. When you got the job in Houston and you thought, I'm ready for this, I'm going to do this. You look back and go, was I as ready as I thought? I was, was not it? ready. 
<laughs> I mean, is, I is, there, is there sometimes you look back and go, thank God I got out of the first couple of years of that? Like I did, yes. said that I almost did this or almost did that. And boy, thank God I didn't do it. Is there some of that? A hundred percent. Yeah. And I'll always be grateful to the chance I got in Houston. Uh, and, but yeah, no, when you're first in the job, you're just not as good. I mean, it's just, right. I mean, you talk to any, you don't really totally know it until you're in it for 10 years, but, um, you know, I think we did a lot of really good things building around Yao Ming and Tracy McGrady. And so I think we did a lot of good things, but, but, but yeah, no, I definitely feel like, you know, if we teleport ourselves back to 2006 with our current staff, we'd do a better job than right. we did at the time. How much longer do you think you want to do it? You can grind away at it. And you, you, there's so many other things that interest you from, you know, whether it's, theater there's so many interests you have you could go on and get into other worlds you can get outside of sports i know you want to win a championship but do you feel like i'm a lifer i'll always do this i would say i feel like scola so scola just came one of my all-time <laughs> favorite players he just came back to play us in the preseason as part of the uh sharks and i've talked to him because he i think he's going to go on and do great things post-career yeah. And I asked him almost the same question, like, when are you going to make that transition? And he was like, why would I ever, like, while I can get paid millions to play basketball, I'm not stopping. <laughs> so that's that's how I feel. I love what I do. There's going to be some day where an owner taps me on the shoulder and says, hey, you know, we're going to do something else. That just That's part of the business. I hope it's not for a long time. But, I, you know, as long as... I'm here. I, I love it. I love who I work with. I love the players, the coaches. So I, I hopefully it's – I'm going to keep doing it as long as – you know, just like Scola said, as long as they'll have me. Perfect. Daryl, thank you the time as always, and um, we will talk soon, I'm sure. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to my guest today, Houston Rockets General Manager Daryl Morey. Remember, you can subscribe and listen to new and archived episodes of this podcast wherever you get your shows. You can find us on Apple Pods or wherever else you listen. And, of course, a big thank you to our sponsors, Quip, ZipRecruiter, and 23andMe. Be sure to support them the way they support us here at the Woj Pod. We'll catch you next time.